The following content contains some explicit language that might not be suitable for children or Mormons. Hi, it's Saturday. It's Mike. It's the Saturday show. Two out of three of those things we know to be true. You can listen whenever you want. This week, we saw the freedom of Adnan Saeed. He's the central figure in the serial podcast, the podcast that changed podcasting. Was it the podcast that changed Saeed's life? Yes. Did it free him? Well, that's the subject of the spiel. It certainly helped, but I was trying to point to the institutional reforms that are possible, though rare. And even though those reforms sometimes dovetail with our wishes as podcast listeners, I wanted to highlight how it was, how government works versus how a really compelling narrative works that actually got this guy out of jail. Now, in my original spiel, as it aired on Tuesday, if you are eagle-eared, do they have good hearing? If you are mole-eared, because they're blind, they must, they must hear well, you will notice, oh, wait a minute, that's not exactly the original spiel. I took out a minute and a half clip that I originally played in the spiel because I wanted to give to you back then a sense of the three hosts and all advocates for Saeed and lawyers of the Undisclosed podcast. But I took that clip out of the spiel and wrote around it so it won't bump you when you hear that part. And I put it back in the original interview that I did with the hosts of Undisclosed. And that is the material I give to you that I consider one from the vaults. So a Saturday show all about analyzing the freedom and at one point the incarceration of Adnan Saeed. Enjoy. podcast Undisclosed delves into the minutiae of Serial. It's not the narrative that was the original podcast, but it gets into the nitty-gritty, every fact, as a team of experts, lawyers, and advocates pour over details. Like here, they're playing tape from a detective who was trying to coax the right answer out of, let us say, key Serial subject, Jay. What happens then? We leave there, um... I believe, can you bear with me for a minute? Um, okay, we left there. Did you catch that? Jay is responding to someone after that pause. And not just that, there's a tap, tap. And then Jay says, oh, okay. Um, okay, we left there. And suddenly, a moment later, he knows the answer. I first heard the tapping after I listened through the clips a few times. And then shortly after that, I found a document in the police file that seemed to correlate with those tappings. And I spent a lot of time checking and double-checking to make sure I wasn't hearing something that wasn't there or that this wasn't a tapping that appeared all over the interviews in all kinds of places. But again and again, the pattern held. Jay gets confused, pauses too long, or starts to say the wrong thing, and tap, tap, tap. And Jay knows the answer suddenly. 
The co-hosts of the podcast, Undisclosed, are Rabia Chaudhry, a lawyer, attorney, advocate for Adnan Saeed, Susan Simpson, also a lawyer. She's based in Washington, D.C., and Colin Miller, an associate dean and professor at the University of South Carolina School of Law. Hello to the three of you. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having us. Colin, I had been reading your stuff as I listened to Serial. You did deep dives into evidence that, you know, would have been, I guess, before your podcast thought of too boring to air, right? Right, yeah. I had a friend and a coworker suggest I listen to the podcast. And when I started listening to Serial, it had so many issues that I teach in class on a day-to-day basis. And so I've been using a lot of material from that and incorporating it into my class to help my students learn these criminal law concepts. And Rabia, we know that you are, in fact, the uh, attorney who was on this case first. What about you, Susan? How would you characterize your take on his innocence, or we should probably say just, uh, you know, not guilt. And when did you come to that conclusion? I think he's very likely innocent. Adnan is somewhat in a not better position, but he's one of the few people we actually have any evidence about. So for that reason, he's one of the few people who we can know sort of kind of where he was that day and what he was doing, at least to a much better extent than we can for anyone else in this case. So... I feel more confident saying that I know where Anand was that day than I do than just about everyone else. And it took me a while to get there. For a while, I was mostly just focused on the investigation and its flaws. And I guess a few months in, at some point, I eventually realized that I no longer saw a plausible way for Anand to be guilty. And how would you, would you define what you're doing? Maybe, Robbie, you can handle this. Would you define this project as journalism? No, I mean, not, none of us are journalists. I think that what we're doing here is we have we are synthesizing really the results of Susan and Collins' investigations over the last um, six, seven months, you know, as they've gotten deeper into this. I mean, I, I consider this an investigatory podcast. I think it's very much from an investigator's and legal perspective. So we're definitely not journalists, but we are showing the public through the podcast kind of like how we are thinking about the case and getting into the kinds of details that serial, because it was very much narrative and from kind of like a, you know, 30,000 feet view in a way, and it was really beautified and stuff. It didn't get into a lot of the nitty gritty. And so there was a lot there that was not just not touched upon, but also I think Sarah didn't catch, which Susan and Colin did catch, and it had to be told. And one of the reasons the podcast came about was because I realized I was doing talks around the country about the case, that not a lot of people were actually reading our blogs. They had listened to Serial, but then they kind of faded off. And that's because it was harder to consume the information through reading, you know, a long blog. And so one of the trustees realized the same thing. He said, you've got to take all this information and and put it into a podcast. Everyone's assuming that Hay had plans to go to a wrestling match, yet at the same time, she's scheduled to work that evening. And none of the witnesses talking about the wrestling match can seem to agree on what exactly the match was going to be. So I started looking into it, and after reviewing some old newspaper clippings at the Baltimore Public Library... It turned out that there actually wasn't a wrestling match that evening. So you're saying that basically the wrestling match, which has been part of the state's narrative for 16 years, and it was even accepted as gospel and serial, actually never happened. There was no wrestling match. 
in, I think it was the last episode of Serial, one of Sarah's assistant producers talked about if Ednan really didn't do it, you'd have to at least conclude that he's the unluckiest guy in the world. I mean, the guy he lent his car to, the guy he lent his cell phone to, was the guy who actually killed his ex-girlfriend. What are the chances of that? How do you grapple with, that seemed like it's not a, not a reason to convict alone, but it does seem a hurdle to get over. How do you guys deal with that? It would only be luck or unluck if the two were independent. It would be unlucky to have a cell phone that pings a tower close to where a body was found and where it was buried, the time it was buried, and to separately have a witness say, oh yeah, he was there then. It's not unlucky to simply have your phone make a call on a tower a few miles from your house and then have the police use that fact to get a witness to say, oh yeah, he was burying the body then, when really, there was no body being buried then, and really the witness's statement was based on the phone records rather than independently. So it's not a question of luck. It's a question of the state using random pieces of evidence to make a case that makes it look like the evidence fits his guilt. Can I just yeah. say that, you know, first of all, I don't think Serial meant to, and I don't think we do either, um, mean to point the, to Jay as being somebody who is responsible for the crime. I think that is completely... I mean, like, it, it is a complete possibility that he uh, had nothing to do with it and had no idea what actually happened to Hay. That's mm -hmm. an actual real possibility I think everybody agrees on. And the second thing I think we have to realize is that this is not... The police figured out that Jay had the car and the phone that day, and they had to then make that work for their case. Right. But if, a, if Jay did not have the phone and the car that day and Adnan had it, I am convinced that they still would have made, built a case against Adnan. It would have been a different story, but they wanted Adnan. He was his guy. It just so happened that they had to deal with Jay. He just got dropped into the middle of the day. I mean, we know when they first pulled Adnan's record, they didn't know that Jay had that stuff. They had to work him into it. You know, I think Yurik said at one point, you got to work with a witness you have, <laughs> and that's what they did heavily. As lawyers, do you all hear that tape or look at that testimony, that cross-examination that Christina did with Jay and just say, oh, my God, that's that's terrible? Yes. If you were stepping out on Stephanie, that would have impacted on your relationship. Would it have not? With whom? With anyone. With Stephanie? If you were stepping out on Stephanie. You understand what that term means, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. If you had another girlfriend, anyway. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was there. Um, you know, I didn't sit through the entire trial, but I was there enough in the second trial that I would, and I was a, like a first or second, I think a second year law student. So I had never, this is the first time I sat in a trial. Mm -hmm. And I was horrified because I knew that this is not right. I had watched enough Matlock at that point to know that this is not how you do it. And how turned off the jurors were. And even, in, you know, people who were observing were, I, I, was, I was really appalled at her demeanor. And it, it was completely ineffective. So, Yeah, it was sing-songy and you couldn't follow it. And if anything, it made Jay seem sympathetic. Oh, very much. And that's just my take from listening to a few seconds on Serial. I can't imagine actually being there. It must have been almost to feel like torture, and you get resentful of the lawyer for uh, putting on that sort of flawed performance. I saw and jurors fall asleep. I saw mm -hmm. jurors roll eye. I mean, like, you could see it in their faces. They were just, you know, she was not connecting with them. And as bad as you might think that her performance in the courtroom was, her trial preparation from everything we're finding was that much worse. 
so I want to I want to pull the jury as it were, if you would. What, Colin, what do you think happened here? Yeah, I've said this a few times. What I think is that between lunch when Hay was still apparently giving Adnan a ride and the final period AP psychology class when in front of a few students apparently she said, I can't give you a ride, something's come up, I had something else I have to do, that in her class or computer class where no one was interviewed in that class, that she got a page from someone outside of Woodlawn that caused her to change her plans, the killer possibly is the one who paged her because her pager was never found, but his pager records were never obtained. Again, they didn't talk to him in the computer class, so it's more of a, here's my alternate scenario, but I have no idea the identity of the person who paged her or who killed her. Susan, what do you think? I tend to lean more towards an unknown party. I don't think we have the pieces before us to put together what happened to her. I'm not sold on that, but that's how I tend to lean now. Rabia. You know, there were a number of, like, literally, like, three or four different serial killers killing young women in the area at that time. So the fact that none of them were looked at, I mean, a number of them weren't caught till later anyways, um, but they were out and about at that time, and they were in close enough proximity to have gotten to her. The fact that that was never taken into consideration as a serious possibility has always been troubling to me. And I think, because, you know, the, the way the body was hidden, it, it almost seems like this is somebody who knows what they're doing. But again, we, we, we need a little more information. All right. The name of the podcast is Undisclosed. The panelists, the people who discuss the case of the state versus Adnan Saeed are Rabia Chaudhry, Susan Simpson, and Colin Miller. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. No problem. And now the spiel. Adnan Saeed is free. For 23 years, Saeed had served time in a Maryland correctional facility. He has now been released pending a retrial that is unlikely to come. Baltimore Circuit Court Judge Melissa Finn ruled that the state violated its legal obligation to share exculpatory information with the defense and that the state's attorney admitted it could no longer stand by, quote, the integrity of the conviction. So how do we get here? It would be tempting to say it was due to the efforts of the podcast Serial and also Saeed's advocate, Rabia Chowdhury. Serial absolutely told a compelling, captivating story. Chowdhury never let Adnan's story stray far from the mind of anyone within earshot. Chowdhury also put together a great podcast of her own that recognized that storytelling is the medium by which we get emotional connection and make decisions. And she directed this podcast, Undisclosed, to the benefit not just of Saeed, but others who she and her co-hosts, Colin Miller and Susan Simpson, argued were wrongfully convicted. And it is because of the efforts of people like them, but no, we can't say that Saeed is free because of them. We also can't say that they weren't necessary, but they certainly weren't sufficient. The real story of Syed's freedom goes beyond and maybe even sidesteps the efforts of these storytellers who are in the end right. And we will get there in a second. But first, I want to discuss what right means. It's important to note that none of them were right in that they pointed to the real killer. The state's attorney in this case did in fact cite two alternative suspects. Serial did not pursue these suspects to their credit. 
They didn't even try or claim to. The producers of Serial worked very hard in ways that many, many popular true crime podcasts do not. They worked hard to prove what they had to and not to insinuate about facts they didn't have. When I interviewed Sarah Koenig back in 2014, as Serial was in the middle of its run, episode four, I believe, I asked her how sure was she at that time of how the podcast would end. Do you know how it's going to end? I mean, can you tell me with 80%, look, let's say I'm going to get hit by a bus and I, uh, or I have a day to live and I'm like, look, I definitely won't tell anyone. Just kind of tell me how it ends. Would you be able to kind of tell me how it ends? Kind of tell you, I think I could tell you with 64, 66% certainty how it's going to end uh 70 yeah meaning 60 like 70 percent certainty how it's going to end how the series is going to end maybe not put a button on this case in terms of did it didn't do it free um yeah i mean i might even back up from 70 to like back to 66 in the end koenig landed on i don't know if saeed did it i only know that his case didn't meet the standard of reasonable doubt when I interviewed Chowdhury and her undisclosed colleagues back in 2015, I asked them if Saeed didn't kill Heyman Lee, who did. They had different theories, each contradictory. So that means at least two had to be wrong. But that doesn't lessen the injustice of his conviction. In fact, the very reason I asked was that we as humans respond to stories and we want to know. We feel like we need to know. Without that answer, it breaks the power of the story. And that was what was working to free Saeed, it seemed, that power. The Adnan Saeed case becoming the Adnan Saeed story was what kept us captivated. But it's actually not quite what freed him. As a legal matter, what's important is the process, the process of investigation, charging, trial, conviction. It was the process that was flawed. You don't have to prove that the result was tainted to prove that the process is flawed. And the Baltimore courts and prosecutors there were correct to recognize this. But most courts don't even give themselves a chance. Most jurisdictions don't either. The Supreme Court of the United States turned down this case without even considering it. The reason Saeed is free is that a little under a year ago, the state of Maryland passed the Juvenile Restoration Act. Justice reform advocates argued that life sentences for juveniles were simply too onerous. Even lengthy sentences to juveniles, as Saeed was at the time of Heyman Lee's murder, even those sentences should be reviewed. And the law was not passed with Adnan Saeed in mind. This was not Adnan's law or anything like that. The law was part of a policing reform initiative that the state of Maryland took up. Campaign Zero co-founder DeRay McKisson on this show cited that state as the most effective one in the country. The Juvenile Restoration Act literally had poster children. I mean, there were men when the poster came out, but they were children when their crimes were committed or allegedly committed. And these were, I mean, these posters included 30 different men who might benefit from a sentence reduction. None of those men was Adnan Saeed. A major selling point of the legislation was that 82% of juveniles convicted in Maryland to life in prison are black. Adnan Saeed is not black, though it's plausible that anti-Muslim animus played a role in this case. The point is, this was an overall structural criminal justice reform that benefited 
a person who became a cause celeb rather than justice for a man who was turned into a cause celeb and that standing in for structural reform. We should also note that the bill was passed with bipartisan support. The Democratic sponsor in Maryland's lower house, the House of Delegates, was Jazz Lewis, a 32-year-old black man. The sponsor in the Senate was Republican Chris West, a 71-year-old white man. Then the bill got to the desk of Governor Larry Hogan, Republican. Hogan is regarded as a fair, principled, moderate, anti-Trump Republican. And the moderate, anti-Trump, reasonable Hogan vetoed the bill. He reasoned that anyone under 18 who was convicted of such a long sentence, by definition, committed a very serious crime. He didn't discuss the possibility of a wrongful conviction. He didn't, at least in his public comments, talk about the idea that maybe poor judgment of youth factored into some of these acts. Or maybe he calculated that listening to several local prosecutors who were against the bill would better serve his future ambitions. But in any case, after that veto, the legislature overrode the governor's objection. It's not really a story of both sides working together, resulting in prudence, mercy, and wisdom. Chris West, the Republican Senate sponsor, he was the only Republican who supported the bill in the Senate. If Democrats didn't have a supermajority, Adnan Saeed would be in a Maryland correctional facility to this day. So the theme here is less that the truth will out and more of something like elections have consequences. And sometimes those consequences bend towards justice, but just barely, after many, many years, and after injustice gets a monumental head start. And The Saturday Show was, as always, produced by Corey Wara and Joel Patterson. Talk to you Monday.